Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. I wanted to show you guys something that I have waited uh, a long, long time to share this. I didn't at the time. Um, There is somebody in this congregation who a long time ago felt led to pray for me every week. I know many of you did, but they they decided to do it with a symbol. And so they said... uh, but there's no denomination of uh, seven cents for or, or seven cents for a coin, so they said. So every day I pray for you during the week, um, and my my symbol of that, just to let you know I am in your corner and I'm praying, is a nickel, and so these are the nickels from six and a half years of prayer from one person, and um, you know the word of God says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, so we'll just keep it. Anonymous David Botorf, thank you very much. And uh, you, you will, will never know how many times during I would have a uh, discouraging week or I'd be wrestling with a passage of Scripture. And sometimes when you preach, there are passages that just they come together. Sometimes it's like wrestling an anaconda when you're digging into the Word. And I would look at this jar of nickels and I would go, I'm, there's two of us praying this thing out. We're going to get there this week. So... Uh, this is one of my greatest treasures ever in ministry, so I'll keep it there. Um, I, I, let me g- tell you one thing about today's sermon. Um, I wrestled for a long time over this sermon, and I thought, God, what do I preach on my last week with people? So nothing, nothing, nothing. I prayed, I prayed, I searched, I searched. And finally, last week at a family dinner, just before a family dinner, my daughter-in-law and I are sitting there, Bethany, and she said to me, you know, there's a passage of Scripture that has always perplexed me, and I've never heard anybody preach on it before. And I said, well, what passage in the Word of God could that be? So she shared it, and I said, oh my goodness, I've never heard that preached on either. And so I started nosing around in it, and about five minutes in, I went, Lord, that's the message for KPC the last Sunday. So um, uh, the last, uh, your last word this week is resurrection. Um, it's our, our, on this final Sunday in July, my final sermon with you. The word is resurrection. And uh, again, in my 51 years of being in the church, I've never heard anybody preach this passage. I've heard part of it preached, but I've never heard the whole thing preached. Some of you may have. You're the lucky ones. But so today, um, for me at least, this is going to be a first time treatment of a passage on my very last Sunday with you. So before I preach it, I'm going to read it to you. A beautiful passage of Scripture here, and I tell you what, because of my glasses, I'm just going to read it off my screen. So here it is, Matthew 27, 45 through 54. Some of this is familiar, and just see if you can guess as I read which part you've probably never heard preached. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the temple, uh, uh, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. 
They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Let's pray. Father God, today we get a little bit of Easter in July. And Father, we come to you together as a family and though... Uh, I've got about 35 minutes of, of being the pastor of KPC. Father, we are family forever. Um, Lord, we are brothers and sisters, and we have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. We are connected and related. We have a love that, that will never end, and so we celebrate that right now. And Father, though we will only be separated by, um, by miles, really, and presence, Father, I just, just also want to stop and just recognize that, that this week um, we lost uh, a great saint in this church. And even as I sat down and looked in that direction and didn't see Jane Hickson there, Father, as we mourn her today, we celebrate the life that you imparted to us through her. And we, we just especially want to pray for Julie, um, everyone connected to the Hickson clan, and Father, we, we just we, we have a, a great privilege of bearing one another's burdens, of saying hello and welcoming one another with great joy and releasing one another um, into greater works. And that's what we pray, Lord, at the end of this, that KPC will be released to the next stage of its life, to growth, to vitality, um, Lord, to resurrection life in Hampton Roads, and that Jane and I and the kids will be released to the same to take what you have poured into us here and make it known um, to people who are hungry and needy in Colorado. We lift this message up, our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, what we just read here, um, of course, was the, uh, the account from Matthew. And this is Matthew writing to us about the death of Jesus Christ. Matthew's account is a doozy. Okay, um, what he puts here is, is absolutely mind-blowing. And the, the, the first part of this, kind of what happens at the beginning, we all understand it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to move through some of the pieces, put them together without too much explanation, a few comments here and there. But so far, before this passage, Jesus has been betrayed by one of his disciples, and he has been abandoned now by all of his disciples. Um, he has been arrested, tried, and found guilty by a religious court, and it is a religious kangaroo court, absolutely. Um, he has also been sentenced to death. Um, Jesus has been mocked, beaten, whipped, and of course the mocking's not going to stop for a little bit of time here. But he has also now been nailed to the cross, and he is, he is hanging between two criminals. And so at this point, the crowd, and there are a whole lot of people in the crowd, there are some followers of Jesus uh, watching with broken hearts. There are the religious that helped put him on trial. There are Romans there, townspeople who are new to all of this. Um, they, they are now in front of Jesus. They are mocking, insulting, watching. And everything that happens up to verse 45, we can pretty much say has been done by human beings. This is the worst that they can throw at Jesus, and it, it's all been done by human hands. But here we are, and we are approaching the time of Jesus' death. 
And now suddenly there is an otherworldly influence that comes into the scene. Um, Matthew starts in verse 45 telling us that at noon a darkness came over the land. Now, if you're, if you're a Bible historian, which is really fun, um, we, we actually have an incredible fact that lies in biblical history. Someone named Julius Africanus in the third century actually went back, put together the calendar, and told us that during this time, during the Passover uh, uh, festival celebration, um, it was actually full moon. And so if you've ever heard, well, the darkness that came over the land at the hour of Jesus' death was a solar eclipse, it's not true. So this is not a solar eclipse. Um, we all remember, does everybody remember the little heat wave we just had? Okay, nobody forgets that, right? I mean, heat indexes of 105, 111, 109. You remember the day after the heat wave, what came rolling in here? Thunderhead. I, I, I was in Suffolk. I saw that thing roll in, that wall that comes in. Everybody knows a big storm is a coming. Well, this darkness that came in had nothing to do with rain, nothing to do with, with, with a, a solar eclipse. It was bigger. It was darker. It was unusual. It was unnatural. If you need a visual, think of the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, that final scene where they open up the ark. That is so close to what comes rolling in. This is the picture Matthew paints for us, and what he's telling us is, look, God is rolling in over Calvary. He is rolling over it, and God is rolling in in judgment. So that's the darkness. Now, um, Jesus makes this connection very clearly because in verse 46, Jesus cries out, Matthew says, in a loud voice. Scientifically, that is an incredible fact. Now, here's why it is. From a scientific point of view, if you know anything about crucifixion, when someone is crucified, what happens is you lose all of your strength during the hours that you're up there on a cross. All your strength goes away. Before long, your consciousness begins to fade. And, and what happens to someone in crucifixion, and, and most of us know this, you don't die from, from the nail holes you die because you no longer have the strength to push yourself up on the cross for a breath. And yet here at the end, what does Jesus do? It is almost over. Jesus roars from the cross. And he roars an anguished, agonizing cry to God. If you want to know what that anguished, agonizing cry is about, it's this. This is the moment that Jesus Christ has dreaded the most. You know, we see it in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember, he's sweating drops of blood. I mean, he's agonizing there because Jesus knows there will be on the cross a moment of separation between him and God. Jesus' whole life, he and the Father, what does he say in John? I and the Father are one. All he has known is oneness with the Father. There's going to be a moment of separation. That moment for Jesus is agony. It's going to be brief. It'll be temporary, but what it will be for Jesus, that moment will be horrific. And that's the cry that Jesus roars out from the cross. It's this loss of contact with God. Now, interesting note, a little bit of a sideline, but, but it factors in a little bit. Some of the bystanders hear Jesus crying out, and Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, or Eloi, Eloi, and um, that, that means my God, right? Well, they confuse that cry with Elijah. 
You know, they think, oh, Eli, oh, he's calling Elijah. There's a little distance. They sort of hear it. They, they figure he's calling the prophet Elijah. And it brings kind of a chuckle from the crowd. Oh, he's calling Elijah. Um, some of the guards and others say, okay, well, let's see if Elijah comes to rescue Jesus. And, and I know we hear that mocking and we think, golly, that is so heartless and cruel and rude of the Romans to make fun of our Lord. But understand this about the Romans in front of the cross. To them, Jesus Christ, he's not Lord. You know, Jesus is not Savior. Jesus isn't even anyone special to the Romans. You know, to, to him, all, all he is, he's just a convicted criminal. You know, he got tried in a court, found guilty. The punishment probably fits the crime. And, and so, you know, that's where they're at. But then in verse 50, Matthew says, Soon after, Jesus utters his final loud cry, and he gives up his spirit. Was this final cry, um, it is finished? Was this Jesus saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit? Matthew doesn't really say. But he does tell us, Jesus, that final cry was also in a loud voice. R.T. France says this. He says, Matthew is showing us here that at the time of his death, Jesus is not just fading away, but he is dying in full possession of his senses. So what you get on the cross is Jesus Christ, and he is in full command as he gives up his spirit. Jesus literally hands his spirit over to God. And what that tells us is that when Jesus dies as our sacrificial lamb, it's not by chance. It's by choice. This is by choice. Jesus in full love for God and love for us, the deepest love for us, he gives his spirit over to God. And so then at that moment, Jesus dies, okay? Now, all of that is the warm-up for what comes next, all right? At this moment, suddenly, stranger things happen. Yes, I just worked in, I think, my final pop reference right there, okay? Stranger things happen. Number one, the temple, uh, the curtain of the temple is torn in two. Stop and think about that. Have any of you in this room ever been sitting in your living room and suddenly the drapes rip in half by themselves? Anybody? Okay? That's weird. What we just read is very strange. But these, these curtains tear from top to bottom. Now, why? We, we, we know the answer, right? Why? Because here it is God doing the tearing. God literally reaches down from heaven and he tears the temple curtain from top to bottom. And this is the temple, the, uh, uh, the curtain that uh, blocks the way from the Holy of Holies. Here's the deal with, it, with the curtain, in case you don't know. That curtain is there because only the appointed priest can go into that place of God's presence. If anybody else goes into the Holy of Holies through that curtain, and it is not the appointed priest at the appointed time in the appointed way, they are struck dead. But even that priest, he better go in, in reverence and holiness and fear. Well, here God reaches down and he rips it in half. As Jesus dies, he tears the curtain apart and he's saying, look, now Jesus Christ has died for you and the doorway into my presence, it is open for every single one of you. What once was restricted access, 
is open to all. You can all, but through the shedding of his blood, everyone who receives me, everyone who receives Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the doorway is open into my presence. Y'all remember last week we talked about the Garden of Eden. Um, I talked about Adam and Eve's relationship with God before sin entered the world. What was their relationship like? It's beautiful. It was uncluttered. It was intimate. There, there was this unrestricted flow of communication between mankind and God. Love, I mean, it's just flowing back and forth. This tearing of the curtain is the restoration of that relationship with us and God. That's incredible. I, I, I hope if that's never hit you before today, that just lands in your heart. This hasn't been seen since the Garden of Eden. The death of Jesus brings that kind of relationship back between us and God. Verse 51 says, not only was the, the curtain torn, but uh, it also says that the earth, earth shook and the rock split. Um, that is code for something. Earthquake. Big earthquake, all right? There is a big earthquake. And in the ancient Near Eastern world, nothing said God is here, God is moving, God is intervening, theophany, God's presence. Nothing said that to them like an earthquake, all right? And especially when you bring in the darkness, they're getting this message. And we also have this little comment about the rocks I think we could go past the rocks real quick. Um, yeah, you know, sure, in an earthquake, what happens to rocks? They break apart. Here's the thing about the rocks, though. Every time I hear about the rocks splitting at the, at, the, at the death of Jesus, I can't help but think of Luke 19. Does anybody remember what Luke 19 is? It's Palm Sunday. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, right? Remember, everybody's going crazy. Jesus, Jesus, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. The crowd is going wild with cheering and praise for Jesus. And you remember the Pharisees, the religious, they don't like it. They go up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, shut them up. Rebuke your followers. They're making a racket. You've got to stop this. What does Jesus say back? He says, I tell you the truth. If they keep silent, the rocks will cry out. I believe here, Matthew comments on the rocks, not so we get an idea of what the earthquake damage was like. I think, I think Matthew's saying, look, right here, whether it's in triumph, whether it's in mourning, the rocks are crying out. By the way, how else is a rock going to cry out but to split? I mean, I can't think of any other way. But I just, I think it's significant. So all of that happens, but now we get to verse 52. And Bethany, this is the part that we've never heard preached before. Um, the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. It's amazing. Why doesn't anybody ever preach on this? Or at least why, why do we hear about it preached very... Because of the questions, okay? Let me give you a few questions that arise here, okay? Here are a few of them. Um, who exactly were these dead people? Why specifically did this happen to them? That, that's an easy one. Here's another question. Um, why was there a delay? Because they're raised to life, their tombs split open, but they go out after Jesus, right? So do these guys like just sit in their tombs for two days? And I mean, what's going on there? Here's another one. What happened to all these ex-dead people in the days and years that followed? I mean, think about it. What a great question. Here's another one. Were the people that saw the, uh, that saw the dead people, were they traumatized? 
I mean, think about it. You know, oh my gosh, there's Uncle Joe. We put him in, we put him in the tomb seven years ago. Yeah. Oh, what do you do with all this? And then why does only Matthew mention this? And see, the thing is, when you preach a lot and you theologize a lot, you like to have answers for everything. Not a whole lot of answer to these questions. They're great questions, by the way. Not just because Mark and I thought about them and Neil thought about them. But they don't really matter. What really matters is this. It's the sliver we know. Matthew has done two things with these dead people. Number one, he has clearly linked their resurrection to his resurrection. That's a big deal. The other thing Matthew does is this. He makes the point that they only come out of their tombs after he comes out of his. Y'all, that's a big deal. That is the point. That is the point of this strange thing and all the other stranger things. The whole point of Matthew's little passage here is resurrection. It is resurrection life. That is all Matthew is trying to communicate to us. And by the way, what do you see in 54? You see the effects of it. The Romans, okay, you remember the Romans? Oh, who is this guy on the cross? Let Elijah come and save him. They've beaten him. They've whipped him. They've mocked him. Um, if you've ever been a perpetrator on a victim, you know your heart grows cold when you hurt somebody. What do these guys do at the end of all these stranger things? I mean, we read about it. When they saw the earthquake and everything that happened, the fear of God hit them, and they said, surely he was the Son of God. That's the point. That is the point. And, and by the way, there's a little side note here. Here's what's so awesome about their confession specifically. It's even better than the Romans, that the Roman guards do it because up till now in Matthew's gospel, God has said, Jesus Christ is my son. This is my beloved son. So God has said it. Jesus has said it. I am the son of God, right? Um, the disciples have said it at different times. But no one outside of Jesus' circle, intimate circle, has ever said that he is the son of God. The Roman guards are the very first outsiders to see it and to say it. And they underscore the fact that resurrection life has now come to everybody. These guys are the vilest of sinners in a very way. They have seen it. They have said it. Resurrection life has come to all. KPC, um, today is, is the end for us, okay? Um, I got some good news for you. The good news is this. You don't need to follow me anyway. There's only one person you ever need to follow, and it is our resurrected Lord. He is the one you are to follow in, in the days of head, uh, the days ahead, and um, his way is all about resurrection. I think it's really important that we remind ourselves in the church that all of this is about resurrection life. It's all about that. And every church out there in America is different. Every church has, has you know, it, it, it's unique, it's different, it has its own niche, but every single church that is the church of Jesus Christ, it has got to be rooted in the cross of Jesus Christ. It has got to be about the resurrection life of Jesus. On a very related note, have you ever noticed that there is one group of people in the Gospels that Jesus, and y'all, he is incredible with sinners, I mean, sexual sinners, all, I mean, you know, thieves, drunkards, 
I mean, Jesus is great with the sinners. And the question, there is one group of people, though, in the, in the Word of God that Jesus is pretty hard on. Anybody know who they are? It's the Pharisees. The Pharisees, okay? And here's the irony about the Pharisees. The Pharisees did believe in resurrection. But everything they did was not about resurrection. You know, think about it. What did they do to the temple? They turned it into an institution. They turned it into big business. They turned it into a gated community. They turned it into a rule factory. The temple was anything but a place of resurrection. Jesus had none of it with those guys, okay? Very important to know. He wouldn't let the hypocrisy stand. It is so vital that we understand this. Mark said this a minute ago about Jesus. He is the unchanging one, right? Jesus doesn't change. He will never change. He cannot change. Jesus was, is, and always will be about resurrection life. Seeing people come to life, discover him, grow in grace, grow in faith. Nothing has ever changed with Jesus. But the same thing is true about Phariseeism all over the United States. Phariseeism is still in many churches. Not every church is guilty of it. You know, but it does happen to people. And I'm not with every other church in America. I am with you. These are our last moments. So let me just say this. There is so much about this church that I celebrate, that I bless, that I love. I keep saying you guys have a hope and a future. Babies, it is true. Oh my gosh, you guys are going to go places. But I want to give you a couple of warnings, okay? Because everybody's got their weakness. So, so here are your final admonitions, and these are encouragements. KPC, in the future, going forward, I want you to be very careful about a couple of things, okay? The first one is this. Be about the Great Commission. You are unique. You are blessed. You guys don't ever stop being KPC, but be about the Great Commission, okay? These are his final marching instructions to the church, the church has got to be about the Great Commission, bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to our community, to our world. If we lose that ever, God help us, okay? Um, don't make the church, this is tempting, I've fallen into this before, don't make church all about you, okay? Don't get lost in religious causes. Everybody has a weakness, okay? As a papa, I deal with my children individually on their weaknesses. This has been a weakness in times past. Don't let this bar your way in the future, all right? Be about the Great Commission. Here's the other one. Be about the greatest commandment. Love one another. In Jesus' name. <clears throat> Prefer one another. Honor one another. Avoid at all costs Walk away from the rumor mill. Walk away from the place of gossip, okay? And then do me, do me one big favor. Choose to trust those whom God puts in authority over you. Pastor, elders, staff, choose to trust those guys moving forward, okay? Um, because that's been an issue in times past. And again, we all have our weaknesses. We could walk across the street to the rock and they'd have theirs. This is one of ours. All right, KPC, be about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and here's why. Because anything else is not a load-bearing wall. Some of us do contract work, raise your hands. Anything else is not a load-bearing wall, all right? Anything but the resurrection of Jesus Christ is shifting sand. 
the house will sink, all right? Having said all of that, let me now say this. Jane, would you please come up here, dear? Come here and be with me for a minute. Come on, baby. On, uh, on behalf of Jane and my children, it has been an incredible honor to serve you these last six and a half years. Um, God has done so much in us and, and just to us through all of you. You guys have loved us. You have prayed for us. You have walked with us. And we bless you guys in, in the name of Jesus Christ. Tomorrow, uh, actually in about 20 minutes, I will not be the pastor of KPC. But... I will always be a pastor of KPC. You have my prayers. If you ever need it, you have our help. Anything we can ever do for you, we will always belong to you, all right? So uh, having said that, I'm gonna pronounce a benediction over this congregation. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you in KPC the Lord give you peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We love you with the love of the Lord. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.